Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Monsters Who Murder. Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard. And Robert McKnight. Hello and welcome to this special season of Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. I hope you're having a lovely Christmas or had a lovely Christmas, depending on when you listen to this episode and when we upload it. Amanda <laughs> Howard, the Serial Killer Whisperer, is with me. Hello, Amanda. Hello, Robert. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Uh, happy Hanukkah <laughs> and everything else in there that I've probably missed. <laughs> I haven't worked out when this episode goes, but presumably... Yep, it's around uh, now. <laughs> it will be early January. I think this episode, so we will yep. have had all those things. Um, Amanda and I are recording a few episodes back to back, so I'm sure she's sick of seeing me by now. No, I'm never sick of you, my love. <laughs> I left that hanging just so she'd have to say that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we are back with a brand new series, Series 7 in February. That's when we kick it up again. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy these um, slightly different look at some serial killers, some historical serial killers, where there aren't a lot of audio confessions. And so we're talking about these cases, but I'm still finding them fascinating, Amanda. That's great, Robert. I was hoping that you would. It was just cases that I had on my massively long list that I could find no sources that would allow us to do our, our regular format. So uh, these have been an interesting little summer series, and I think that we'll do a few more of these during those breaks that we have. Mm, sounds good. All right. Well, don't forget, if you want early access to these episodes, go to patreon.com slash Confessions. But in the meantime, let's get to our next case. On May 12, 2015, 90-year-old Willie MacDonald died in the secure wing of the Prince of Wales Hospital in Sydney, Australia. At the time of his death, he was the longest-serving prisoner in a New South Wales prison. However, beyond aficionados of true crime, very few know his name or of the heinous crimes he committed that gave him the name The Sydney Mutilator. Yet the strange way in which he was caught should give him a greater place in infamy. Amanda, you have a strange smile on your face. And just before we hit record, you basically said to me, Robert, you've got no idea what you're in for here. (laughs) Yeah, this is one of those cases that you're going to go, oh, my God, all the way through it, because you have no idea about this case at all. And you're coming into this cold. Now, the reactions you get from um, me will be very real and very raw. But he was known as the Sydney Mutilator. So that gives me some idea. (laughs) Take me back to the beginning. (laughs) Well, MacDonald was actually born in England in 1924 and during World War II he enlisted in the army. Now, during one of his tours, he claims that he was sexually assaulted by another officer. Well, that would have been pretty traumatising. 
Well, actually, it had um, two opposing effects on him, actually. Um, firstly, yes, there was the trauma of this brutal assault that um, actually destroyed him physically, mentally. And he actually received electroshock therapy um, as an inpatient during a four-month stay in a mental health asylum in Scotland. Right. Um, but at the same time as this, um, he could not get the attack out of his mind and he actually believed that he enjoyed it more than he, he hated it. And so this sort of caused a major and a conflict for him um, with homosexual desires and things like that. And and this is something that we've seen in others like Dennis Nielsen, Jeffrey Dahmer, John Wayne Gacy. Um, and he sort of began to use that attack as almost a, f- a fuel and a catalyst for what would come in a, this shocking murderous rage that we're about to go through. But um, during this time, he, he, he moved around and he went to Canada for a while and he actually had gay relationships there. He went back to England and then finally in 1955, he arrived in Australia. Let me ask you this. There's a lot of serial killers that we've covered where part of the problem is their homosexual tendencies. And obviously, before the time we're in now, even when we were kids, homosexuality, while it was... Uh, you know, we have friends who are gay, and but it still was something that wasn't fully accepted. No, absolutely, yeah. So when you go back in time and, you know, especially in the 40s, being gay just wasn't a thing you were allowed to be. So I guess the question I'm asking is now that we are in a more tolerant society where people can express their sexuality, could that possibly see a reduction in serial killers or is that just the homosexuality tendency and trying to hide that is just that is that just one element but doesn't necessarily lead to this whole other side where they're killing homosexuals are more likely to be passive like they aren't aggressive people and it's 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 actually something that we won't see as much of purely because people don't have this confliction in them. And we have to remember that back then it was a criminal act. Yes. So that's it was a convoluted way of asking the question, I know. But it does – this has been a theme, not with all the serial killers, but there's mm-hmm. been some serial killers we've covered that confliction in their mind yeah. about being gay has played a part in their sociopathy. And so – you know, I, I guess I'm hoping that without having to hide that aspect of themselves, maybe that wouldn't lead some of these people onto this other life of killing and, and getting gratification out of that in secret. I mean, we still have gay killers to this day and will forever, I'm sure. But yes, there, there is these killers that kill because of their own hatred of their own um, uninformed sexuality. Yes, but that's what it is. It's a hatred of themselves, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, you know, like it is. It, it's, it is. And so I, I, I'm certainly not tarring all gay people as possible no, no, serial killers. No. Uh, not, not at all. But there has been some serial yeah. killers who have had that um, conflict going on within mm-hmm. them that has played out in some kind of format during their kills. One hundred percent, yeah, and um, yeah, it 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 is a small group of them, and unfortunately, they're our major killers, and they do things like like what we're about to see William McDonald did, um, but there is more of a general acceptance. There is still going to be, as I said, there is still going to be killers who do this because they aren't accepted by their family, they aren't accepted by their peers, they aren't accepted by by their social groups. So there still will, will be that conflict of of um. You know, for example, a a gay killer might come out because of um, his religious beliefs. That mm. that's the conflict that they he can't be gay and and but believe in God. You know, it's crazy. 
but it is what can can still cause these sorts of, of crimes to occur in the future. But what we're seeing of these historical cases, yes, 100%, there was this issue that they hate themselves because um, what they believe is their true identity is actually, actually criminal and they don't like that and they don't like what they're doing and they know – you know, like you don't want to go out and, and, and commit crimes, but if that's what you love to do, like if you like to set fires, you know that that's a crime. You can't go and do that. Well, back then it was the same thing. I want to go and, and have gay sex and gay relations, mm. but they are told that they can't and it's wrong. And so there's this inner turmoil that that happens that really messes with them. Okay. Now he's known as the Sydney Mutilator, but his murderous campaign, it didn't start in Sydney. No, that's right. And, and it actually took his confession that that would come two years later, that they would understand that there was another victim before the Sydney mutilation cases. Ah. Um, you know, but most sites claim that actually his first victim, Amos Hurst, was 55 and killed in May 1961. But going through the old files like I have just been doing you the are last meticulous. couple of weeks, <laughs> uh, Amos was actually killed in March 1960 and was 63. So people don't believe what Wikipedia tells you. <laughs> Made with the it's best wrong. intentions, but maybe we need to update it and you can use Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions as your source. <laughs> um, all right. So there is, in fact, a lot of wrong information about this case. So with your help, let's try and sort through it. Yeah, well, the, let's start with the fact that the reports claim that McDonald only killed homeless men. Now, Amos Hearst was discovered in his Parkview Street flat in Milton in Queensland four days after he'd actually been killed. So this man was not homeless, so let's start there. And as we said, he was 63 and not 55. Um, but police at the time actually believed that he'd died of natural causes, but it was only once McDonald had confessed to his, his murder that Hearst's body was actually exhumed in July 1963 and then it was discovered that the bones in his neck had been crushed and it was through manual strangulation. So when they investigated the body, and I understand this is the 60s, um, and I don't understand <laughs> this uh, what coroners do and all that kind of stuff as far, you know, like what an investigation into a dead body uh, involves, but uh, I would have thought the the fact that the neck had been crushed, wouldn't that be pretty obvious? It gets even weirder than that. So um, MacDonald actually claimed that the two had spent the day together drinking at Hearst flat uh, when he, quote-unquote, suddenly got an urge to kill. So the two men had been sitting on the bed together when the urge took over. He then claimed that they had drunk a lot, but MacDonald claimed that he was still sober enough, whilst Hearst was actually, according to MacDonald, nearly full. So he was right. totally drunk. So MacDonald grabbed the man by the throat, and he and in, in his confession, he is quoted as saying, I squeeze with all my might. Now, McDonald continues, he tried to struggle, and so I hit him in in the mouth. So not only do we have crushed bones that they find later, but the man has been socked in the mouth. Mm. Now, Hurst died from the strangulation and the assault. What happened next? Well, once the man was dead, uh, McDonald actually placed him calmly in the middle of his bed. He removed all the man's clothing and covered him in a sheet. So in in the confession, he actually describes it. You know, I put it right over, he, over his head and tucked it in all around. And I waited there for a while, made sure he was dead. Then I turned out the light and went out the door. Hang so on. Well, when... hang on, hang on. I thought they thought this was a natural death and he's been found posed like this, a sheet over him like a dead body. How does that happen? <laughs> 
Yeah, crazy, huh? So, you know, actually one of the in- a- attending nurses that come where the coroner to-, to check out this dead body actually thought it was suspicious. <laughs> but the police and the coroner who, who was there... Said, no, 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 this is normal. So, Crushed so the guy's neck, been bashed. Covered strangled. in a sheet. <laughs> and it, nothing suspicious. It's almost like there was blood pouring out on the floor, you know, if he was stabbed. Yeah, they could have done nothing the, to the see chalk here. outline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it was just crazy. So it's possible the case could have been solved there and then, obviously, if police had investigated this strange scene. And it was a strange scene. Yeah, and, and, and it even got stranger because the same coroner did the autopsy both times and claimed that neither time he would have said that he was strangled. It was only purely because MacDonald had said that he had killed the man, that it come down, that yes, it, maybe it was. But literally the guy had, you know, a broken high bone and he'd been punched in the mouth and he had been found posed by a second party. You can't help stupid. Um, no. McDo- so, obviously, <laughs> McDonald wasn't able to get away with it. He got away with it, not through cunning planning, but by sheer stupidity of the people investigating. Yeah, but he was actually freaking out because he assumed that he he would get found. I mean, this was his first killing. And it was obvious to basically anyone else except for those at the scene <laughs> um, that he had been posed and that he was likely to be arrested for, for, for killing Hearst. So he literally was, you know, freaking out, police were going to turn up. Then he saw the obituary that, you know, this man died suddenly and he went, oh, okay. And so he took off and headed to Sydney by June 1961. And then his next victim was 41-year-old Alfred Greenfield in June 61. He was found in an area in Sydney known as the Domain. Yeah, so um, Greenfield had been drinking in the park uh, near the bus with McDonald. And his body, and the domain is a big open area, yep. and his body was found the following evening. Yeah, um, two homeless men actually spotted his body. Um, it was under the pylons near the baths, and they assumed that he was drunk. So they were also drunk and thought, well, if he's drunker than us, we're going to go and steal his grog. <laughs> and so they went over there to get it and said they found that he was actually very dead. Okay, I think I'm almost too afraid to ask this considering we are talking about the man known as the Sydney Mutilator. Okay. What happened? Ready, Rob? Mm-hmm. Well, Greenfield was actually naked from the waist down and his upper clothing had been pushed up to his, his, his throat and he'd been stabbed 46 times. Wow. Most of these, yeah, most of these were in the chest, the throat and, and the head. So though the bottom half was exposed. The stabbing was to, to the top half. One of the stab wounds had actually completely severed the man's spinal cord at the base of his neck, which is quite horrific. It's it's similar to what um, Ivan Malat did in, in, in the backpacker case, but that's a different story. Um, and according to the police file, and this is quoting again, uh, the killer's final act of depravity was to remove his victim's penis, testicles and scrotum, Jesus. including the area of flesh which corp- incorporated the pubic hair. The man was also heavily tattooed. That's quoting the police file. And it's funny, Amanda, they brought down the Queensland coroner who said, no, nothing to see here. Um, this looks like a natural death. No. <laughs> that was a joke. Oh, okay. Because... The- because the, because the okay, Queensland okay, coroner... Let me respond, let me no, respond. no, we're going with that no, response. No, 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 let me respond. Let me respond. You know, the people listening to this, they yeah, got the well, joke, I'm got, sure. Okay. I know I said a deadpan, but, you, you know, did. I didn't want to go waka waka. No, because, because the Queensland coroner had done two things, so I thought you'd linked it that way. No, I was just being silly. Did you want to ask it again? No, I'm leaving it as it is. Oh, fuck you. <laughs>
Now, look, to get serious, and, and that was brutal despite my stupid humour, there obviously was a sexual element to the crime. Um, I, I want to know, with the was there any sexual assault? Well, according to an examination later, there was actually no evidence of sexual abuse. But surprisingly, though the men's uh, genitals were removed, they were actually tossed into the harbour. So, and they were literally found the next day by police divers. That, to me, is inexplicably lucky, I think. But um, <laughs> they went looking for them and they found them in the harbour. Now, anyone who knows Sydney Harbour knows that's a big bloody area. Yeah, you'd be hard-pressed to find anything. I've got to ask this, and I never thought I'd ask a question like this, but was there something significant about this man's penis? Oh, well, actually, there was, and what? it comes back to him being heavily tattooed. See, at first, when when they saw the man's penis once they found it, um, it looked like it was severely bruised, um, and so they assumed that there was a sexual element and that there was abuse to the penis before it, it had been detached. But what they found out was the bruising was actually a tattoo and it read all for just one night of love. So, you know, we're, we're talking a very mid-20th century man in Sydney. It's it's a very unusual thing to have. Um, when we say but, tattoo, is that something that was um, done previously to this encounter or is that something McDonald's being he accused? He was heavily tattooed. No, he this man had a lot of tattoos. Right. So... Um, and having a penis tattoo is very, very rare. Even I would assume it's still rare today, but maybe I'm naive. Um, <laughs> but but knowing that this man was so heavily tattooed back then, it, it linked to a criminal element. And so they instantly looked up his um, fingerprints and were able to identify Greenfield because he was known to spend most of his weekends heavily drinking and frequented the park where his body was found. So there was obviously other sexual elements that had happened before and Greenfield probably right. had a history of meeting others in the park. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to McDonald. Why did he choose Greenfield as his second victim? Well, according to McDonald, he had the compulsion to kill again and he hated Greenfield because he looked like the soldier who had sexually abused him when he was in the army. Uh. So we're linking back now to that prior trauma. Um, McDonald had actually spotted Greenfield and he was very drunk and worth to wear in, in Darlinghurst where he'd, he'd been drinking with his common-law wife for many, many hours and then after they had an argument, he said to her, well, you go home, I'm going to go and keep drinking. And that's when McDonald spotted him. And so then he followed him and the pair moved to the domain where they continued to drink. And um, he confessed to only stabbing and mutilating uh, Greenfield's body after the man had passed out. So he obviously didn't want to have a fight. He didn't want to have that confrontation mm. with his victims. He needed them to be paralytic drunk for him to do anything. Okay. When we come back, we will find out what happened with the third victim and where this story goes, how he was caught, and what happened next. Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. We'll be right back. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's Amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, everyone. 
Let me tell you about the Apple for the Teacher podcast. I'm Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host. So you're probably thinking it's about reading, writing and arithmetic, right? Well, think again. It's a fresh take on true crime, where you wouldn't expect to find true crime. In schools, yes, schools. You will hear tragic stories about murder, abduction, school bus hijack, student disappearance, suicide, kidnap and ransom, a school camp tragedy, the list goes on. So if you're looking for something a little different in the true crime genre, then Apple for the Teacher is for you. So join me as I present The Bad Apples. But until then, remember to be a good apple. We are talking about William MacDonald, known as the Sydney Mutilator. Amanda, his third victim was William Cobbin in November 1961. Yeah, well, MacDonald saw the homeless man and he was walking down Dowling Street, which is a major street in Sydney, and it was a little after 10pm. He was the perfect victim for MacDonald and it's exactly what he, he was looking for. So he offered the man to accompany him for a couple more drinks, which MacDonald was actually carrying where the bag, and of course Cobbin said yes. And MacDonald said to him, well, there's a large toilet block in Moore Park and we'll be all right there, obviously... Um, a lot of men's toilets in Sydney, as as they are all over the world, are gay haunts, and um, the toilet blocks in Moore Park remain gay haunts t- to this day. Um, but once in in the cubicle, Cobbin sat down on the toilet whilst McDonald stood up, and McDonald said that he'd get the next bottle of uh, beer out of his his bag, but instead he grabbed a raincoat and put it on. And then he produced a knife and he began stabbing Cobbin repeatedly. And Cobbin actually tried to stand up and fight him off, but MacDonald just kept coming and Cobbin collapsed to his knees. So then uh, MacDonald took some newspaper out of his bag and then sliced off the man's genitals. He wrapped them in the newspaper with the knife and he left the bathroom uh, disposing of all of them as well as his raincoat. There's a couple of things here. Um, it seems to me that after getting coming so close to getting caught after the first murder in someone's house and the way he left it, he learnt a lot of lessons from that and he seems to be targeting homeless men, homeless men so that he's not running a risk of basically having these men so quickly identified. Yeah, absolutely. And and that there's an escalation that's happening. So um, he first made sure that they were unconscious. Now with Cobbin, he's allowed him to be mm. drunk but, but, but conscious enough to try and fight back. Um, but again, he stabs them so, so brutally that they they collapse and, and he's still able to commit the mutilations. So one of the questions I have is there is a fixation on the penis. What is the... What does it represent cutting it off? Well, that there was lots of theories, actually, and the police were, were concerned that they had a violent homosexual, and they were also um, thinking that it could have been actually a woman dressed in men's clothing with a hatred for men. So they believed mm. that there could have been like this vigilante woman going around and attacking men, believing that she'd been attacked and all of this. But it's, it's more to do with McDonald's own feelings about himself and that... There is more than likely um, sexual elements happening that there's no doubt probably oral sex happening. And, mm. and this is almost his, his way of cleansing himself of it is to um, cut off the offending appendage. Sure. 
So there was a four-month silence in McDonald's killing spree before he attacked again on March 31, 1962. And again, another homeless man, Frank McLean, was McDonald's victim. Amanda, McDonald changes his pattern here according to the police file. Well, yeah. So after offering the man some free alcohol and then uh, taking him to a place where he, he could kill him uninterrupted, uh, McDonald actually struck the man in the middle of the street. So uh-huh. he so he had this plan to take him somewhere and do it, but he believed that the urge was too great and he needed to kill him as soon as they began chatting. Like his his anger and his um, ferocity was just to a point that it just boiled over and he just attacked him in the middle of the street, which is a major, major risk and um, a, a, like a high-risk crime. And he stabbed him ferociously. He was still able to hack off, off the man's genitals, but he didn't wait for him to be dead this time. The guy was still barely conscious, but he was conscious and he was very much alive when um, he had his genitals removed. And then on top of all of that, McDonald's stole his alcohol and headed home. And and what happened to the genitals? Well, like the others, they were actually thrown into the harbour. Um, they weren't actually found this time. And he threw the knife away as well. Now, it's important that he does this. Um, McDonald does it because he wants to get rid of the knife. He, he believes that if he doesn't have the knife, he won't kill. Mm. But what he does then is that he goes and buys a new one because he knows that the re- that the urge has returned and that he's going to have to kill again. So he makes sure he has the nice sharp knife. It's interesting, isn't it, that he just seems to have this overwhelming desire to kill. The fact that he did it in the middle of the street, he was he couldn't control himself. No, he was he was at that point that it was becoming a frenzy, and this is what he had to do. He he had a bloodlust, he had a bloodthirst that he needed to do, and. He, he still had this conflict as as he was doing. He was throwing away the knife. He didn't want to keep the knife. He said, if I don't have the knife, I can't kill. But then he would want to kill, and so he has to go and buy mm. a new knife. So there was this premeditation. There was this ongoing fantasy and, and desire to do what he was doing. And this is where we find that he was re- repeating the pattern, and he's stabbing them at, over and over again. There's this, this anger involved in this. This last victim was stabbed in the face multiple times. I mean, he, he was really brutally violent with these with these victims. Well, the last victim was murdered in June 1962. McDonald confessed in full to the murder of Patrick Hackett, also known as McNulty. It read, One night I got a compulsive urge to kill. I went out on a Saturday night. I had six more beers in a hotel whilst looking for a victim. I saw McNulty standing practically opposite the People's Palace. He was very drunk. I was carrying three bottles of beer. I said to him, would you like to come to my place for a drink? He said, yes, that would be a good idea. I got a taxi and we went up to the shop in Burwood Road. We went upstairs to the bedroom where we drank most of the beer. Then he said, as it is too late to go home, he would sleep on the floor. He took off his coat and put it on the chair. And whilst he was on the floor, I lay on the bed. When he was asleep, about half an hour later, I got off the bed. I took my knife out, which was in its carrier bag, and I stabbed him in a rage in the neck. He turned over and saw me and grabbed me by the left hand. I think I pushed the knife through his throat. I cannot say for sure how many times because I was in such a fury at the time. I also possibly put the knife in his shoulder and in his chest, but it was such a state of mind at time, I could not accurately say for positive. After he was dead, I continued stabbing him. Then realised blood was spurting from my hand, I put the knife through. I wrapped a dirty dishcloth round and went back to the body and tried to cut off his private part, but I only mutilated it slightly. 
I realised the knife must have been blunt as I never sharpened it. Then I went downstairs to the kitchen. Blood was spurting from the hand on the line of the stairs. When I got to the kitchen, I put my hand under the cold water tap and tied another dishcloth round it. I went upstairs. McNulty's shirt was covered in blood, so I took it off so it would not make a worse mess of the floor. I tried wiping the floor with a singlet belonging to me. I also tried wiping the floor with McNulty's coat. I dragged the body into the next room and lay on my bed until 7 o'clock the next morning. I got up, dressed and walked to Burwood Station and got a taxi and asked the taxi driver to take me to the nearest hospital, where they stitched the hand and bandaged it. I walked back to the shop. I tried scrubbing and wiping the blood off the floor without any effect. So I took the lino off the floor. A lot of it got broken and the lino on the stairs which had blood on it and put it under the house. Later on I dragged the body downstairs, down the passage and yard and put it under the house under the kitchen. Then I went upstairs and put my singlet with blood on it and McNulty's coat which had blood on it under the house. The knife I thought I would never use again so I threw it over the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Amanda, this is the case he got arrested for. How did he get arrested? It's so fascinating and and it's often been referred to as the case of the walking corpse. Now, he had actually Mm. killed McNulty in his house. Now, no one had known about this and McDonald had actually almost taken off, but not quite yet. But um, people began to realise that there there was a smell coming from the house and they went into into the apartment above the shop that um, McDonald owned and they found the body and they believed that it was McDonald under his alias, Alan Brennan. And so there was no sort of realisation that he'd been brutally stabbed or anything. People just thought something had gone on and that there was a possibility that McDonald himself was the next victim of the Sydney Mutilator. They weren't quite sure because ah. there had been time. So McDonald, as Alan Brennan, become the next victim. And so there was a... Um, a obituary put out for McDonald um, saying that he died as Alan Brennan and a man that he worked with spotted McDonald and said, hang on a sec, you're dead. <laughs> and then in this time there was the big link that was coming with all of the case and people realised that the man who owned the shop was still alive and there was a dead man in his house. Mm. So this is how it occurred. So because someone had recognised him and had been to the man's funeral and seen the obituary, um, McDonald was suddenly arrested. That's crazy. Now, looking at McDonald's life, is there anything that stands out beyond the sexual assault? Well, according to McDonald's brother, um, his parents had actually treated him poorly. Um, but McDonald says, no, don't take that as an excuse. He, he believes that he was treated okay. Um, but at the same time, his family had believed that he was a weakling, you know, a bit like John Wayne Gacy. He had headaches and, re- and would refuse to do sports at school. Mm. He refused to talk to others. He was extremely shy and he was often sent home um, for insubordination. But purely it was because he was so deathly shy that he didn't want to um, talk to other people. And he believed that um, his ability to relate to others is is his issue and that it mm. was that he couldn't socialise as most people could. Um, he actually said in an interview um, just before he died, uh, the trouble is that I take things too seriously. I'm too highly strung. It makes life harder. I don't think that life is funny at all. I have a lot of trouble with communication and what I want to achieve. I want to be able to talk to people. Amanda, this is something we've seen before, though. I'm thinking of Dharma for one, Dennis Nielsen yeah. another. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's it's this shyness and this inability to talk to others. Um, you know, there's a lot of us out there that are socially awkward. I'm I know I'm one of them. I don't get your jokes half the time. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's it's they still have this desire to keep people with them, and so they realise that sometimes they need to be the focal point. The way they do that is by having this inanimate object with them. So this dead body. So they think that they're communicating and thinking that they're socialising, but they're doing it in in such a um, horrific way that there's no other way for them to do it, that it it becomes almost normal for them. Mm. Now, MacDonald was in prison longer than most. Um, he, He should have been released after serving the standard 25 years, shouldn't he? Well, I mean, he, sh- he should have probably been eligible to apply for parole. Yes, life means life, and, and he's one of those that was in for a very, very long time. Um, but even he him- himself didn't didn't think that. You know, he said um, after that 32 years in prison, he told a reporter, I wouldn't want a new start. I would be afraid that I would do the same thing again. They say a leopard never changes his spots. There is something in me, and it is inbuilt. It is something I cannot change. Do you believe that's true? I really don't know. I th- I think um, it's a bit of a pity poor me cry. I think there is isn't it a, a bit, bit honest though. He's saying I don't trust myself out there. I'm better off in here. The the public is safer with me in here. But the whole reason of prison is it should be about rehabilitation. It should be about um, righting the wrongs and correcting the behaviour and 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 seeing what can happen. Of course, that doesn't happen and it never will. And there's people who should never be released from prison. But um, he's he's one of these people that that does go the opposite way, and it's quite surprising that he says that. But I really think that if they said, "Okay, well you can go from prison now," he's not going to say, "No, I won't." Well, when he was asked about freedom, this is what he said: "It was very good going outside. That was just after he'd taken a three-hour trip in 1995. But the idea of staying out there frightens me. I don't miss freedom. I wish I'd never." I wish I'd never seen it. I wish I had never had it. Looking back, it is all unpleasant. I did it harder outside than I do in here. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, yeah, he's saying that life in prison's good. You know, really, we, we, we talk about rehabilitation, but we also talk about punishment with, with incarceration. He's saying he's not punished by being in prison. He's saying he's, he's getting his three squares and, and gets the jerk to what he want, wants. Now, um, he was in prison and he was in mental hospitals as well for a very long time. But he was in um, protective custody. He was in protective custody. He had very little responsibility. He was institutionalised by this time. But at the same time... Um, like David Byrne used to say to me one time um, when he'd been in prison by, for, for about 25 years by that point, he says, after seven years, there's no difference. So you can be in for eight years or you can be in for 80 years. There's no change. Once you've done your first seven, it's easy. You're in the routine of it. You've been broken. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, that brings us to the end of another fascinating case, Amanda, and it's one, a Sydney one that I've just never heard of. And as you say, considering what he did, you would have thought it would be uh, more prolific, but uh, interesting all the same. It was, and I'm glad that you you stuck with me with this one, Rob, but I wasn't sure how you were going to go with seven penises, but thank you for coming for the journey. Bit crazy, but uh, but you know, fascinating. I, I, I genuinely think this one was fascinating. Um, we will have another case in the next two weeks, or if you're on Patreon, you can get it much sooner. Just go to patreon.com/slash mwm confessions. Amanda, thank you. We'll see you soon. See ya.
Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.